After a little bit of uncertainty and suspense, the Missouri General Assembly has sent the 2018 fiscal year budget to Governor Eric Greitens. And one of the people who is intricately involved in the process is State Representative Deb Lavender. The Kirkwood Democrat joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking to explain how the budget came to be. So let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum. And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens, Navy <laughs> SEALs running for governor. And I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe. I'm going to push back on these regulators. I'm doing this for the people. I was encouraged along the way, not just by my family, but by a lot of teachers and professors and knew when I was in college that I would run for office someday. We're very excited about the prospect of having some more free market solutions. Even though after the conversation, I still might not agree. We want our listeners to get a real sense of what drives these people. They're actually people with a story to tell. And welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me, returning from her her European voyage. <laughs> yes, on the beautiful Danube, Joe Manis. And uh, joining us for the first time as a state rep, but her second time on the show, we have as our special guest today. Deb Lavender. The state representative for the 90th State House District. Before we uh, bombard you with pesky questions, could you just let our listeners know what your district encompasses? 90 has two-thirds of Kirkwood, all of Warson Woods, Glendale. I have a piece of Oakland, a sliver of Sunset Hills, and a small portion of Webster Groves. It is uh, a beautiful part of St. Louis County, but every part of St. Louis County is beautiful. Right. So I, but some are yeah. more beautiful than but others. <laughs> we are very partial to how beautiful we think we are. We Kirkwood <laughs> still has a fabulous downtown district and very, very uh, honored and pleased to be able to serve this uh, district. Especially compared to Webster Groves, I hear. <laughs> well, no. Webster, Webster has a nice one, too. Webster has a fabulous downtown yes. as yeah, well. I, I yes. just realized we have a Kirkwood resident and a Webster Groves re- yes. resident on the show. We'll make sure that there's not fisticuffs <laughs> by the end no no it's not great great uh cities back together absolutely so um what we're going to talk about on the show today is the, the the missouri legislative budget process and what to expect in the last week of session we're going to have house budget chairman scott fitzpatrick on monday joe i think you might be in jefferson city for that show yes yes so i'll be remotely but i'll be there but yeah um so just so our listeners know we're doing uh, a one-two punch here, so both sides get their um, uh, main message in as they head into the final week. So you're representing all the Democratic Party right. in the legislature well, here, so that, that's no, no a pressure. Big sure, no pressure. So you are on the House Budget Committee, and um, there was some suspense and uncertainty about whether the budget would be finished on time. Frankly, this is my tenth or eleventh legislative session that I've watched closely. And there have been some pretty serious budget fights in the past, but it never got to a point where they didn't finish the budget on time, which made me think that they were going to pass it. Yeah, and I just so our listeners know, the budget deadline um, is basically 5 p.m. the Friday, the the next to the last Friday. So it's today, right. um, at May 5th at 5 p.m. Right. And so, they have to have it on the governor's desk. Now, the, I had always heard 6 p.m. Okay, okay, either okay. Still, either way, it's got to be at on... the end of the day on Friday, the week before session has ended. That's and, right. And the fact that our guest is here in studio in St. Louis probably gives the listeners a sense that they finished it on time. Exactly. So exactly. What, just generally, as somebody who probably has spent most of the session dealing with this tougher-than-expected budget, what were your, what were some of your general takeaways? 
Well, first, the governor got the budget to us a little bit late in the process. So typically, the governor will get the budget to us on the state of the state address, and it's left on our desk when we get back to our offices. And this year, a new governor, and I'm sure lots of uh, different reasons, but we got it three and a half weeks after that. So because there's a constitutional deadline, that put a little bit more time restraints on us. Budget chairs did a, I'm sorry, the appropriation chairs did a great job in rounding everybody together, having meetings of our appropriations prior to us getting the budget so we could have a sense of what was going on. And then as soon as we got the budget, we really started looking at, there's a process called markup. So you do that in an appropriation committee. I was on the appropriations for health, mental health, and social services. There's an appropriation for agriculture, one for economic development, public safety, corrections. So the different departments throughout the government have appropriations committees. So you do the first markup inside your own appropriations committee. That means I want to move money from this place on the budget over here. So you get to move money inside of what you're accountable for on inside of your appropriations. So the health, mental health, and social services. Then after that, we take that to the full budget committee. So then when you get to the full budget committee, then you get to move money from anywhere in the state budget to anywhere in the state budget. Now, a little backdrop here. Uh, about the time that the governor... Uh laid out his proposed budget, which included some significant cuts in um, A, uh, state payments to nursing homes for low-income elderly, and B, uh, transportation for public school districts, um, which affected particularly rural school districts. So even though the legislature is controlled by the same party as the governor now, they're all Republicans, um, there was a lot of unrest over that. I'm just putting that as a backdrop as you're doing this. Thanks. You're right. And and it's a challenging budget year. We have a whole of $500 million. For me, as I see that is that we've given so many corporate tax breaks over the last several years. So we no longer have franchise tax in the state of Missouri. As a small business owner, I used to pay $49 every other year for that tax. So it was not a burden on me, and yet the reduction of that has cost our state $135 million per year that we no longer have as the corporate franchise tax. Well, and then there's this other corporate tax break, which was had not been sold initially as taking so much um, out of the state budget, and that has to do with how corporations calculate if they have if if they're a multi-state corporation, how they calculate. Uh, their payments to Missouri on income that they say they earn elsewhere. Yes. And that has ended up um, costing the state significant sums. Yes. I mean, the estimates vary, but I'm hearing between 200 and $300 million a year. Yes. And it had been sold at maybe 20 We were actually, with Senate Bill 19 from a year ago, we were told the fiscal cost to the state would be $15 million. Now, I think the hit to the state has been, I heard more, $200 million. But that's as corporations reorganized. Right. Ongoingly, it won't necessarily be that same amount. But yes, that's another hit to the state. And then several years ago, there was a bill that did something very similar. I, I, it was a, I think it was manufacturing companies yes. that were able to reallocate how they paid taxes. The Senate bill from last year then put it on to all other corporations versus just manufacturing. 
In total, I've been taught and learned that there's $200 million a year our state no longer collects from corporation taxes. So if you add that up over the last couple of years and then this big hit with the Senate Bill 19 just going into effect, that's why we're $500 million yeah, in the whole yeah, this year. Yeah, so actually it's far more than $200 million the hit when you include right. everything. Right, so starting, yes, because it's, it's kind of cumulative and that one hit all at the same time. Next year we should have $200 million less. Now we're already at a reduced rate of that $500 million, but then ongoingly there's $200 million less than we'll have as a state due to corporate taxes. Now I do want to play a clip from Senator Gina Walsh. She was on our show I think about three or four weeks ago, and she had – stumbled into the Missouri House. She is a former member of the House, so I think she probably had some fond memories of that place, and remarked on your ability to actually be able to move money from places in the budget. And I, I want to emphasize here, there are not many Democrats in the legislature. You don't have In the a House, deep, especially. And in the House. And by that logic, you shouldn't really be able to have a lot of ability to effectuate this process that much. Here's what uh, Senator Walsh had to say. I was watching Representative Lavender find money all over in the budget, yeah. all over the place. And it was the most remarkable thing I've seen because she'd have an amendment, you know, and they tell you over there, you want yeah. money in this? Go find it. So she went and found it. So she's finding whatever you want to call it, waste or whatever in the budget. And she's finding it there. And I'm sure that um, the budget chair, Fitzpatrick. Yes. Scott okay. Fitzpatrick of Shell Knob, a Republican, yes, continue. Yes, and I, I'm confident that he and uh, Rep. Senator Brown, I hopefully, would put that money in wise places. So the, the reason that statement struck me was a couple of things. I mean, the Republicans have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars against you to try to get you out of office, both in 2014 and 2016. So the fact that Republican leadership is basically going along with a lot of your budgetary amendments show, showcases a couple of things. First, you must have had some great ideas that they all agreed with. And B, they're not really trying to like politically stymie you if you're trying to help with the budget process, where they would probably stymie Democrats in other places. So I may, be a, I may have been reading a little too much into Senator Walsh's statement, but it does kind of show that the Republicans were willing to let someone like you participate in the process pretty significantly. Representative Fitzpatrick has been very fair with all members. Now, Senator Walsh was very generous there. Uh, yes, I think I found a lot of money in a lot of places. They did not accept all of those on the House floor. Mm -hmm. uh, we accepted some of those places that we were able to move some of the funds. One of the big places I found money that we were not able to use that I'm disappointed with is I had $6.8 million to put into the public defenders. There are three funds over in the Attorney General's office that are what we call sweepable funds. One is a court case fund, one is an antitrust fund, and one was the Merchandising Practice Act fund. The Merchandising Practice Act fund has $12 million in it. They have authority to spend $3.7 million. So I thought that was a good place to find $6 million to put towards the public defenders who are incredibly underfunded and have been for many years. We actually have a lawsuit against our public defenders right now. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, for not being able to represent people adequately under the Fourth and Sixth Amendment of our Constitution. So I had attempted to find that. Uh, it was, I think, just my good 
hard work. You know, luck has got a lot to do with hard work. But the night of the budget markup, the attorney general's office wasn't there. So the representatives of the budget, Republicans especially, we did pass my amendments from the budget committee uh, as much because the attorney general's office wasn't represented. They took six million of it right back on the floor. But yeah, so. So, I mean, do you is there a discussion at all since the House is where the budget has to originate on whether or not this lawsuit potentially could cost the state far more if the uh, budgets continue to underfund the public defender's office? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Well, I agree with you. And, and to date where I keep bringing it up, I brought it up on the floor again yesterday as we finished the budget process on the House floor, that this is something we need to seriously look at that we're not funding them. And yes, I think it could cost, end up costing us a lot more. And it already costs us more in that how long people are kept in jail because they don't have a defender to plead their case or to just say, hey, this person's not even guilty. So we have stories of people spending days, weeks, and months in jail without receiving adequate representation so right there, it's already costing us more than it would cost a public defender to just stand up and say, hey, first time, n- not a big offense, let's let them go home or here's some bail. They don't even have that opportunity for that defense. Now, probably the biggest fight was this, this I think, House-Senate's disagreement over in-home care for seniors. Is that what it is, Joe? Or well, nursing homes? It's it's basically um, nursing homes, most of it. Well, it's in-home care, too. And I'm not right. sure I'd, I would say it's a House-Senate battle. The governor presented a budget to us that really took a significant amount of money out of our seniors' in-home and nursing home care. Yes, yeah, it was both. And it's something called points. So to qualify for assistance, you're rated on how ill you are. And today, if you get 21 points, you qualify for some in-home assistance. And that really, that might be two hours a day to help get you dressed, to look at your feet if you're diabetic, to make sure your medication is being taken appropriately. And so today you have to qualify at 21 points. In the governor's budget, he said you had to have 27 points to qualify. And we knew that was going to knock off, and I apologize, I may not have the number right, at least 16,000 people. Yeah, they were talking 20. So, yeah, yeah, yeah somewhere so, in that ballpark. Right. right. And then the other thing that the governor needed to do was to, or did do in his budget, was he reduced the provider rates. We don't pay these people very well. We don't pay the nursing home very well. We don't pay people very well who go in and do this in-home services. And he was taking 3 and 3.5% from their pay. So those were the two, I think, very big issues in the budget this year. Yeah, and and I think people need to understand these are people who also have to qualify on the economic level. Yes, yes. I mean, they have to. Their income has to be low enough. Right. So So, low income people, yes. So okay, I think that there was kind of when I talked about the disagreement between the House and the Senate, it was basically kind of a different approach to dealing with the whole. Um, The House voted to basically remove aspects of the circuit breaker property Mm -hmm. tax break for seniors and I guess the disabled as well. I think it might just be seniors. I'm not 100% sure. And there's some disabled. No, no, it does affect disabled as well. That's why I was making sure. And veterans as well. And um, the Senate didn't go along with that because primarily because of a Democratic filibuster. So what I believe happened last night, and I'm reading off 
an email that I got from Marshall Griffin is they ended up passing the budget with, I think, the points not being 27, but being, what, 23, 24? 24. 24. So that meant that fewer would be knocked off. But still, I think thousands, Mm -hmm. 8,000. 8,000, yes. So what ended up happening was the Senate passed another bill that would restore the funding and allow elderly residents to keep the, the property tax break by basically examining special funds that could be used. Um, I, and I, That's I, what Senator Walsh indicated that I found money all over. Those right. are the funds and fund balances. Now, what do you know? I mean, I don't want to get too granular here, but, but what, 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 what yeah. funds are we talking oh. about here? Because I, I do want to make sure that we're not taking money out of needed causes. Oh, no, again. not at all. So, not at all. So... Senate uh, Representative Fitzpatrick passed the budget in conference committee on Wednesday with point totals at 24, but he had set up a senior service protection fund to fund the points down to 21, where we are now, and restore half of the rate cut. But he did that by taking low-income seniors tax credits of those who rent. So we knew that would affect 100,000 people, and the average that they got back as a refund was about $450. So that's how he funded that fund to take the points down to 21 and give half of the rate cut back. I had attempted to find fund balances to make up that difference so we didn't have to take the money from our seniors, and that was not successfully passed on the House floor. Last night in the Senate, they took that idea and they enhanced it. So they took it and asked the Uh, Department of uh, Administration, the OA department, to go through these funds and do an equitable sweep. That's the word that we can sweep these funds. So the best way I know how to explain this to you as an analogy is that we have 430 piggy banks sitting around the Capitol. And if you're a department, let's say we've given you $100,000 to operate your department this year, Mm -hmm. and you have $2,000 at the end of the year. Well, you took that $2,000 and you put it in that piggy bank. Yeah, it didn't go back into the to the state general fund. I mean, the St. Louis City Hall has something like this on a much smaller scale right. where the departments have these. And it's just like you were talking about what was in the AG's office where exactly. there's all these different funds. Right. And most of them have balances in them yes. that are sitting there. They're not being spent. They might get spent down the road on something. You don't know. That's but, right. And I, and I think that the pushback against that idea was that it's a one-time fix to a longer-term problem. Because right. once you take the balances of that fund, they're not there anymore. Well, and they might accumulate over the next several years. But you're right. And then my uh, response to that is the governor has a tax commission. And I've attempt- well, I'm in the process of setting up a meeting with the chair of that to discuss with him the overall tax policies of Missouri to look at the tax credits and to see if there are other ways for us to start being more uh, reasonable and being more state-minded with all of these tax credits that we give out instead of maybe more individually-minded. There are some of us that feel some of our tax credits benefit a very few number of people, and we want them to benefit the state in general. Mm -hmm. So it's time to look at comprehensively those tax credits to see how we might find this savings in the future. I do want to ask about that, and that's probably going to be an issue next year or the year after. But let's say you significantly reduce the amount of like historic or low-income tax credits that are given out. And um, a lot of those credits have already been issued but not redeemed. 
especially the low income, which goes, I think, at a 10-year clip every time. How much money are you actually going to save if you if you lower the cap on those? I don't think we know right now. And you are right. Some of those tax credits do set out for an 8- or a 10-year time period. But I think it's also time to start looking mm-hmm. at that. There are caps on a yearly basis. Mm-hmm. And that's where we might be able to start. Instead of giving $10 million to a tax credit in a year from now, mm-hmm. maybe we only give $8 million. Mm-hmm. So where there's still a 10-year tail of when that tax credit can be redeemed, we can at least start decreasing how many tax credits are out there. Yeah, just so our listeners understand, I mean, this something about the state tax credits has been going on for a long time. Yeah. Uh, during the Nixon administration, Nixon had estimated it was between 550 and $600 million a year that the state was losing because of the all the various tax credits that were given out, some to corporations, some to developers, some to individuals, different things. Now, on the backside, some of the backers of these saying that they were generating uh, more in economic mm-hmm. activity and helping the state in the long term, just kind of laying this out. Exactly. But, but this has been something that Republicans and Democrats, this is not so much a partisan issue. I mean, Matt Blunt, his Republican predecessor, had been complaining about yeah, this. Yeah, but there are going to be a lot of powerful interests that are going to push back against this. Developers, totally. banks, right. Right. you know, uh, historic preservationists, right. and, and political leaders in St. Louis and Kansas City. So this is not going to be an easy fight well, when it comes. And I think that's what, and I, I'm going to say there's a flavor to legislators. And, and right now, this group of people who are serving the state seem to be more opposed to tax credits than maybe legislators in the past have. But I think it needs to be a thoughtful process. So in the Budget Committee last week, we received presentation of every single tax credit that we have in the state. And, you know, we've got to look. Do they benefit the state? Do they benefit the people of the state? Is is there a return on investment that's a wise return on investment? If I put a dollar out and get $2 of value back, that's a wise investment. But we also have tax credits that go out that I send out a dollar and the state might benefit four cents. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be comprehensive, it needs to be thoughtful, and it needs to be judiciously applied. Now, the last budgetary item I want to talk before we get into more general issues is higher education. Now, higher education from the governor's initial budget, I think, had about a 9 or 10 percent cut. Um, I think it ended up being about 6 or 7 percent in the end. And seven sounds right. Seven, six or seven percent. Yeah. And frankly, I don't think the governor like wanted to cut colleges and universities. I don't think he took any joy in doing that. But when you have a budgetary hole and you have something that's funded primarily with general revenue, which higher education is, you don't have a lot of other choices. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, is this situation maybe a jumping off point for legislators to discuss maybe direct funds for higher education that comes through cigarette taxes or comes through additional fees, as opposed to it being funded with general revenue where it's so disjointed by budget year? I think that's a nice idea. I've not heard any conversation on that. And then knowing that we are not raising gas tax to help with our roads and bridges, I think it would be challenging to see where we might decide to get those taxes from to help with the higher education. Yeah, because what what this has done, during part of the next 10 years, he had cut a deal with the um, state colleges and universities Mm -hmm. to not have any tuition increases in exchange for getting additional or stable state funding. 
the conventional wisdom right now is that the um, tuition costs in Missouri are going to go up for the public universities and colleges because the income's going down. And some compare Missouri's tuition with other states, um, and they say Missouri's tuition is in some ways higher, mm -hmm. depending on the state that you're comparing with. Right. But the bottom line is, yeah, if you need to cut because of the problems that we just talked about, um, then higher ed's going to take a hit. And at the same time, there are pushes from people who want to try to reexamine some of these corporate cuts, but uh, from what the others are saying, they would have to go to the voters to restore some of this, and so they're not going to do it. The Hancock, and then there's a... The Hancock Amendment, which restricts right. state... How uh, much we can raise at one time. Correct. But there's also, I, I believe, a second component to that is called a farmhand. I think I have that right, that we can raise taxes. This year, we could have raised taxes to $90 million without a vote on the people. Yes, because so there, of the drop in income. There is some that we can do, but then anything over that limit, we have to go to the vote of the people. But there doesn't seem to be political will to do that. There doesn't seem to so, be. We still, you talk about Republican-led legislature, governors, uh, you know, no new taxes continues to be the and there's an, And there's the other tax cut uh, stuff oh, that was approved two Senate years Bill ago. 508. Which goes into effect. Most likely. Arguably. Yes. This summer. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be phased in. It's, right. it's going to depend how much income the right. state has. There's a trigger. Right. There's a yes. trigger. But the bottom line is we're talking about all this. There could be additional losses I depending agree. on what, what the bottom line is. Somebody earlier this year said Missouri has driven off the cliff of these tax issues. We just haven't hit the bottom yet. I think next year in the budget is likely to be as challenging, if not more, than we've had this year. So with that uh, optimistic note, let's talk <laughs> about the last week of the session. Um, just generally, I think that there are some items that I can expect to come up, but what are you expecting are going to be the, the major things that the House debates? Well, you had mentioned earlier before we got on air about Senate Bill 43. There is a Explain bill. Explain what that is. There is a bill out there that would take, it's discrimination, it's discrimination in the workplace. It's to ease some of the, it's to make it more difficult yes. to file lawsuits. Right. On that. If, if I'm old and you have made comments about my being old as your employee over the last year, and yet then I'm late for two weeks or you don't like a report that I turn in, you might say, Deb, we're firing you because you were late and you didn't return in this report. But I know over the last year you've talked about how old I am and how much money you have to pay me versus somebody else. So the motivating factor that you fired me is that I was late and didn't turn my report in on time, but a contributing factor is that I'm old and you've, you've made note of that. This bill would eliminate any contributing factor from being able to be used um, in feeling that you were discriminated against because you were fired in a lawsuit. So the only thing you could challenge in a lawsuit was, no, they fired me because I was late and didn't turn my report in on time. And any information I might have about they didn't like me because I was old cannot be used. Now, now I, I'm assuming you're not in favor of this bill. Can you explain why this would be a bad thing for Missouri and Missouri's business climate or anything? Well, there's a couple of things. First, this rolls back 
our laws on discrimination to before civil rights, it was 1961 since we had amended this bill. So we are rolling back civil rights decades. The second that is very concerning to me is this has been introduced by a specific senator who is currently being sued for discrimination at his business. Now, to be fair, I've talked to him. I interviewed him before I went on vacation, and he points out that his lawsuit will not be affected by this bill. Well, and I appreciate that, but the the visual of this mm-hmm. is awful. This could, yes, it may not affect the lawsuit he currently has, but what about his next one? And if you were to read the transcript of the lawsuit is awful. The gentleman who was fired, I'm sorry, I think the woman who was fired, was just harassed on a racial issue for quite a while and then was fired because she didn't show up for work. My understanding is she'd had permission, she worked, I'm sorry, an injury situation. She thought she'd been approved to go to the doctor and then she's fired. So It may not affect the current lawsuit, but what about future ones? And when we discuss ethics and conflict of interest and self-dealing, there doesn't seem to be anything that lines up better than this lawsuit and the senator who's introduced it. So the upshot is, what do you think is going to happen with this bill in the final weeks? We have been told it's been sitting on our calendar for two weeks. It has not come up yet. Um, we are very against this. We think this rolls us back. Now, we, you mean Democrats, Democrats. House okay. Democrats. And then we will, you know, uh, see what happens. Uh, hopefully right now it hasn't come up because they don't have the votes on their own side in realizing so many of the things that I've just said also. So on that point, and you're an excellent segueer into our next clip, We, I interviewed State Representative Dean Plocker, a Republican from De Pere, and he provided me kind of an insight of how this debate is going to go and how this bill could potentially fail. And here's what he had to say last week. So there's, there really is a lot to be discussed. This is a debate on the floor that will last hours. Um, my last calculation here on amendments that were filed um, in Senate Bill 43, and these are House amendments. This is, this is the way... There are almost 40 amendments. Yeah, and my, under, a lot of- my, my understanding is if one of those amendments passes, this bill is dead, pretty much. Because if it goes back to the Senate, it will be filibustered into oblivion. Is that your understanding, too? Well, you know, I, I would like to think that the bodies can make a bill better mm-hmm. and that both bodies would be willing to take a bill back from the other side and, 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 and debate it further. Long pause there when I asked the question about being filibustered into oblivion. Is it your understanding if one or two amendments pass, this bill is pretty much dead on arrival in the Senate? Yes, it is. And and that's why the Democrats have a great um, hope and plan to get at least one amendment onto this bill. That is one of the methods that we feel, if the debate comes to the floor, uh, that we can alter the bill to, first off, make it a better bill. We think this is a terrible bill and terrible policy for the state of Missouri. I mean, how much do you think is it's a priority both for the Democrats and maybe some of the attorney groups, whether it be MATA, whether it be the defense attorney groups, too? I've heard even the defense attorneys don't really like this either, that this bill fail. Well, I think it's a significant priority of the Democrats. We do fight for the working family. We do fight for what we feel is right. 
We've had a lot of racial issues in Missouri, Ferguson, the University of Missouri. So there are racial issues that happen in our state right now. And we just feel this is very targeted towards those civil rights gains that we have made over decades of time and that this would take us back to a place we just don't think is appropriate in our state. Okay, well, looking at the broader picture, so you've got this bill, but then you've got other bills. So, and often there is concern that a bill like this is going to kill off time to deal with other bills. So what are other issues? I mean, we're talking about abortion here. We've got several things that could be coming up in the final weeks. What other things do you think are going to be hot on the House? Well, let me just mention before we finish that we haven't gotten real ID taken care of yet. And the Physician Drug Monitoring Program is in conference committee, and it has been for a couple weeks. So those are hot issues that we haven't gotten to yet. I just want to say about Real ID. Uh, Real ID is that Missouri's driver's licenses don't uh, comply with the federal regulations. So if something's not fixed allegedly by January, you're not going to be able to use your driver's license to get an airplane. Just so you know, because I took several plane flights the last couple weeks to and from Europe. It was rather jarring to see these signs in all these airports around the world, (laughs) including Missouri, as among four states where your driver's license may not be used, which was rather I have to ask this question. I know you weren't in the legislature. Why did Jay Nixon sign this bill? I mean, this bill passed only with 90 votes in the House, and he could have vetoed it. And I, I was trying to look for an explanation online, and I cannot find it. Well, there had right. been a push on this for several years under Matt Blunt, and I don't want to take too much mm-hmm. of our time. I, I don't either, but this. that is a question in this. I mean, well, governor, I know the governor listens to our show, and he, he sent me and Joe a nice letter. If you could tell us why you signed this bill, I would love to know, because it really goes against a lot of things that he typically stands for. Well, what I had heard at the time was that they were concerned about giving the federal government a picture worthy of facial recognition. Yes. And so to me, the joke is so on us because Facebook now provides pictures worthy of facial recognition. And so if that was a sticky point, technology has long blowed by that. So that's unfortunate. Anyways, but on to Joe's question. Well, one of the bills that we have is Senate Bill 139, and it is a Missouri Rx program. So inside of health and mental health, there are medications that we want to have on a preferred medication list. And many private insurance companies have done this. We want to have more of the state medications go that way. This could be a savings of $18 million to us. That is critical because the budget has passed with these $18 million saving inside of it. So we kind of put the horse before the cart, but this is a bill that we need to come up and have happen this week is Senate Bill 139 on the House floor. Another Senate bill that's come over to us is 313, which is, in my world, a school voucher bill. It allows people, and this is just kind of um, humorous to me, where we don't like tax credits. This bill would create tax credits to help fund education for kids to go to private schools. And this has been a Republican priority for over yes. a decade. Yep. And after Nixon got in office, it basically fell by the wayside because right. he said, I will veto anything that I say yep. is a voucher yep. bill. The fact that it is very close to going to Governor Greitens' desk and he will sign this, right. it, it signals to me that um, it's an accomplishment of a longstanding priority among many Republicans. And it could be a major defeat for not only Democrats, but also Republicans who are 
who are against this type of thing. It would be. And, and again, the part that's humorous for me is we seem as a body to be so against tax credits. We wanted to take away 15, $52 million from low-income seniors because it's a tax credit, and yet here we're introducing a bill that puts $25 million of tax credit in that I could donate $10 million to the state. I can get a tax credit for it. And the part that really intrigues me is if I only owe $5 million this year in taxes, the state will write me a check for $5 million. So how does that not come out of our bottom line? We've got budget issues. So I'm just perplexed with this. Yes, it's a priority, but going after it through tax cuts just seems to be very contradictory do, to do, what we're doing. Do you think that's going to end up passing? Senate Bill 313? Yeah. Uh, my best guess today is no. And if it does make to the floor, there'll be a very significant fight. The Democrats in the committee that it came to in the House did a fabulous job in poking out many holes that this bill has that is not good policy for our state. And the reason I ask that question is a lot of things that are Republican priorities will probably end up passing because there are so many Republicans. This is an issue where some Republicans do not like the idea. When it came to the House floor in 2007, it failed. And, and But the difference is there were fewer Republicans back then, mm-hmm. and there are a lot more now. Yeah, well, a lot of this, though, is not partisan. It's based on geography. Rural legislators, Republican or Democrat, and right now they're virtually all Republican, rural legislators have never been for uh, being big on voucher bills, in part because there aren't uh, the private schools or the parochial schools Mm -hmm. in their areas where people would go to. They rely, I mean, virtually everybody goes to the public school. That's the one school. So they see this as taking money out of their own school district's pocket. What I've heard is that the charter bill that passed on the House floor barely passed on the House floor, and the Republicans themselves may not have enough votes for this one to pass. I I do want to talk about ethics because that's been the topic of du jour for the last three years. The governor basically said three things he wanted to pass, a lobbyist gift ban, an expansion of the revolving door before a legislator can become a lobbyist, and statewide term limits for attorney general, auditor, secretary of state, and lieutenant governor, correct. Uh, treasurer and governor already have term limits. I, I, I've heard mixed things about that agenda. On the one hand, I do get a sense that, it, especially in the House, there is a distaste that lobbyists are giving lots of free things to people. I don't really sense that's the sentiment in the Senate. And frankly, senators get a lot more lobbyist gifts than House members, so that could be the reason why. Well, and there's also the issue of the fact that Governor Greitens, for good or bad, um, has set up, which Jason and I have both written about, uh, a, a special uh, committee called a 501c4 that has to do with a uh, provision in the IRS code. Bottom line, it can take unlimited donations from unknown donors. You don't know where the money comes from, and actually it's very difficult to find out where they're spending it. Now, um, his uh, uh, aides who are in charge of this say this is just to promote his agenda, but... Um, but under the 501c4, you can spend up to half the money on politics, and it's not illegal, which is – and now these this committee has, has doing some attack ads against some Republican so, so senators. I, I want to yes. take this yeah. into two different yeah. directions. Right, yeah. The first question, do you think that the governor's ethics agenda is really substantial at all and would really change anything? 
I'm afraid to say I don't think it is very substantial. I don't think it would change much. The House started uh, on uh, looking at ethical issues uh, a good year ago, uh, two years ago after the steak dinner at the country club. So the House started looking at ethical issues and reducing gifts a year ago. We truly started this year's session off, the first Monday of session at 7.30 in the morning with a hearing on a gift ban. So that's how the House started this year. So we passed that over to the Senate a long time ago. I'm concerned the governor speaks ethics, but his behavior doesn't demonstrate it. I think the day before he signed his executive order to not take gifts, he had taken a Glock pistol from somebody that had the governor's seal on it. Uh, this dark money campaign uh, fund that he has truly concerns me. That, And we don't know where the $1.9 million came from that he accepted as a candidate. I believe that was last year in August. We still don't know where that money came from. Mm -hmm. So who is influencing? We don't know who paid for the inauguration yet. How do you have an... That was a separate 501c4. Right. Just How just do you have an don't. inauguration party and not have it be the state's business, the people of the state's business, to know who paid for that. Mm -hmm. So in the year of bought and paid for politicians and special influence, I think it's appropriate that you put all of your dealings on the table. It should be open that people know who's giving you money, how much money they're giving you, what legislation we are passing or are not passing. And the B aspect of my question was about the nonprofit disclosure bit. Now, mm -hmm. as we speak right now, it's being debated in the Senate, right. but I'm getting a sense that it's path to being passed, despite the fact that House Speaker Todd Richardson supported it back in 2012, not very promising right. on a number of fronts. I've heard conservatives like Greg Keller and Carl Bearden talk about the privacy of some of these donors. I, I, that um, intrigues me. Yeah, so, I want you to want you to respond. So to now that. it's OK. So so we can look at I'm going to use Chick-fil-A as an example. So Chick-fil-A's owner donated money to um, against same sex marriages. And the public found out about that. And there is some public that chooses not to go to Chick-fil-A anymore because they don't like where the owner spends his profits. And so you have other businesses now saying, well, I should be able to do that without a blowback from the community to my business. I disagree. You're welcome to spend your profits wherever they want, wherever you want to spend them. But then stand up and be proud of your where you're putting it, how you're using it, I think that should be public information. Now, just uh, as uh, information, many other governors in other states have set up these 501c4s. Now, in some of those states, including the state of New York, if there is political spending in that state by that group, they do have to ID their donors, which is why a couple years ago when this first came up, there was a push by then Attorney General Chris Coster and some who was a Democrat, and some legislators to try to get it into state law. Now, Greg Keller, um, who is a Republican lobbyist and who represents another group, has said that they'll go to court if that... Mm -hmm. But So my point is, while, while Missouri does not require any of this, some states do yeah. as far as identifying donors and spending. I do want to take this on a little bit of a left-field direction, though. Because there is a group that's a 501c3, which is different than a 501c4. Correct. I and 501c3s make... cannot be spending money on campaigns. I, I want to make that clear. Mm -hmm. It's called for Campaign for Accountability. It's the group that asked for an investigation of Ron Richard about the TAMCO 
allegations. Now, when I sent in a message asking who are your donors and who asked you to do this, they said, we're not going to tell you that. Mm-hmm. So I want to just ask, since that's a Democratic-leaning group going after a Republican, do you think that is right? Because no, for all I know, I don't. you know, some interest group right. told that group to right. do that. Right. No, I don't. And I'm think... not saying they did that, right. but I'm no. just saying, but continue. I don't think any of that's right. Why is it okay for anybody to hide sources of their money when they're being involved in politics, whether you're supporting somebody, whether you're attacking somebody else, all of that's likely to influence politics in our state. And I think we all trace this back to Citizens United of the Supreme Court, and that's six years ago now, seven years ago. And the billions of dollars that have now been poured through campaigns, I think is unfortunate for our nation. My last question for you before we wrap up, What's been your impressions of the governor? What's been your impressions of the legislature under Republican governorship? And what are you expecting the next few years? Because you're, you're, you're in the legislature till at least 2018. If you win re-election after that, you'll be there for longer. What's the new reality like? Well, I still love my job. I, I have since the start. So I, I love the policy and being able to delve into, as I said, the budget. The, the governor seems to be having a little bit of... Um, issues uh, relating with the Republicans in the Senate, and I think that is casting a shadow on a lot of what's happening legislatively. He does seem to be coming uh, to the senators in more of a confrontational manner instead of a cooperative manner, and I think that's affecting what's happening in Jeff City. The House, um, I think we've done well. I think we've done a lot of work this year. I do think it's a little bit more pointed. Uh, Republican agenda. We have passed right to work. We're taking a, a tort reform to such an extent, I think it's going to p- hurt individual citizens in Missouri having their day in the courthouse when they feel they've been wronged. We've gone after union organization uh, prevailing wage, I believe, was uh, truly agreed and finally passed yesterday by both chambers. So there does seem to be a, a very pointed agenda against working people in this state. So I think that's what I see from the governor-led Republican legislators. Well, we, we want to just thank you for coming in uh, hours after the budget passed and break this down. This was fascinating. And I think it's really important for people to know this process pretty intricately. Yes. So well, I appreciate being here and the opportunity. And, and I, I think Scott Fitzpatrick will do well with you on Monday. He's done a great job in, in a difficult year steering the budget. I may not like his results. He's done a very good job in steering the budget. We look forward to talking to the gentleman from Shell Knob in a few days. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at... Jay Manis. It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And how would we follow you on Twitter? At Deb Lavender. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. (laughs) 